0: Hello and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics. I'm your host, Leticia Latino, and I'm pumped about today's guest. The repositioning expert, award-winning marketeer Chala Dinkoy. a few years back when she was a keynote speaker at a conference that I usually go to. I was highly impressed by her presentation style, as well as with some of the powerful marketing strategies she shared on how to change a company's messaging to attract more decision makers. Her experience includes working for companies such as Pepsi, Frito-Lay, and Big, to name a few. She has written several books, including the recently published How to Make Anybody Like You in Seven Seconds or Less, (laughs) and is regularly featured Expert on major television networks such as ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox. And now she can proudly add Back to Basics to that <laughs> impressive <laughs> list. Hello and welcome, so, Chala, to the I show. Have a picture with all the big logos for sure. <laughs> exactly. How are you doing? Welcome. I'm
1: good. It's great. It's great to be a guest. Um, I'm hoping that it's going to be, uh, yeah, I, I, I just saw a change on the screen, but hopefully. Uh, It's recording our screen, but if not, um, our listeners can enjoy
0: our chat. Exactly. No, I'm super excited. I was very impressed from the moment I met you. Um, You are uh a... a person full of energy, and I know that when you do your talks in every conference, that I see you people come in one way and they exit the meeting in a very different way. Yeah, you yeah. definitely empower them. Thank you. And
1: I remember you ran right up to me. I remember being very impressed with you as well. And I remember you kindly waited until everybody, you know, was kind of like in line, and uh, you got what you wanted. And I'm so happy yes, to be yes. here. I'm so happy to be
0: sharing whatever wisdom that I can with uh, your listeners. Thank you, Chala. And uh, I'm not sure if you're that familiar with the show, but basically what we do is we go and we take the listener into our guest childhood. So we want to hear about who, as I always say, little Chala was and uh, what interests you. And then, you know, we're going to go into what you're doing now and how your, maybe your passions or, or, or the things that you used to be excited about, are manifesting in your life now. So can you share a little bit about your childhood with us?
1: Yeah, and it's really interesting. It's, there seems to be a theme about going back to childhood, because just that this past week, another women's group that I belong to asked for our, uh, our childhood photos. And one thing we would say to ourselves back then,
0: Oh, interesting. There you go. So
1: you have it fresh. (laughs) And so they asked for, you know, like the, the little baby picture with a headshot. And then they did a whole, you know, a series on all these women about what they would say to themselves. And for me, it was start a business sooner. And I don't know, how old were you when you started your business?
0: Well, I am into the family business, so it's a little bit different. But yeah, probably 30 Really? 32. So even though it was a family business, you didn't grow up in it? No, I grew up in it. I just rejected it for a long time. I didn't want to be part of the family business. Not for nothing bad, but I wanted to earn my position in it. I just didn't want it to be given to me. Well, that's interesting. So, I I mean, I wish I had started at 30, I wanted,
1: I started to certify for things at 30 and then I, you know, actually started at 40, believe it or not. So now I'm 50. I just turned 50 and like, it's better than, you know, my life is better than it's ever been on every front, you know, personal, uh, business, money, um, love, child, all those things that I ever wanted. So as a, as a little kid, you know, um, I was the child of the second child of an immigrant family such as yourself. I mean, my parents uh, came from a country called Turkey. They were both, my mom was a lawyer, my dad was an engineer, but they were both, uh, you know, raised in this poverty mentality. And I actually spoke about this, which is a very personal topic, at NASDAQ. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you were at the talk where I was talking about NASDAQ, but when you...
0: I was, I was. You remember
1: me talking about it. So that was a very personal and scary topic where I talked about you know, how my parents had this real fear
0: around money. And they gave that fear to us as children. And why do you think that that was, in terms of what money would do to you if you had, that was uh, the fear? They just had always fear of not having enough
1: because they were immigrants and they came with very little. Even though they were, you know, professionals, they, they always, they have, obviously, you come from a family where, you know, there was... Um, a business and wealth, and hopefully, you know, not every entrepreneur has wealth, but hopefully you came from the kind that was, you know, had steady wealth.
0: Yeah, well, I kind of understand it very well because my parents actually are Sicilian and they had to immigrate Italy after Second World. I mean, they were, it was a few years back, but my dad left Italy in the 50s where really there were no opportunities in in Italy left for them and they had to start from scratch in a different place. And so also, you know, at the beginning was very tough because even my dad said he had to donate blood uh, for like two years to get my brother out of the hospital because he didn't have how to pay for the hospital. So, you you know, yeah, they know. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, No, I think everybody can, you know, um, relate in a way or the other of some sort of scarcity, even if it's not money, it's probably some other source of scarcity as in growing up. But so, yeah, I totally see it. So they, they were always, you know, afraid that there wasn't going to be enough. Yeah. And so uh, growing up where you, what kind of child were you? Were very active, I assume, <laughs> knowing you now. I you, I had a very big mouth.
1: Like I always got in trouble <laughs> and I still get in trouble. I still get in trouble for my big mouth because Um, for whatever reason, I'm not afraid to say what I think. Um, No matter what, what, uh, you know, consequence happens, I have to speak my truth. What I have learned, though, is to temper it in a way that it doesn't hurt people. Because that's just not, you know, the intention is very important to me. I have a 10 year old. And, uh, you know, we talk about uh, some of the things that he says and trying to be funny because he's trying, you know, he's the funny guy. He always, he takes something funny to school every day. Like today he was wearing his spy glasses. Another day he took a wig. Another day he took a mask, you know, like he just wants to make people laugh and he's the funny guy and I was the same way. So And sometimes, you know, it doesn't strike the right chord. So, you know, I'm teaching him about the intention of kindness so that I was the kind of person who always said what I thought. And I was always, you know, getting in trouble with my parents and getting in trouble (laughs) just all around. And when I, it didn't serve me well when I started working for corporations, large corporations. Did you ever work for corporations or were you always, uh, you know, with your dad?
0: No, I worked for two big companies, Merrill Lynch and Nortel. So, I had to to also <laughs> learn to to, you know, navigate the corporate world. Political, yeah, for sure. And I
1: I really wasn't born to be political and I you do know about the politics of um, large corporations. I couldn't if I thought my boss's ideas weren't good, Three seniors in the room and him and me, which was, I was the lowest on the totem pole, I would say it. And that did not sit well with anybody. So, you know, my upward mobility in corporations was always limited. And then I found when I started my own business that it's, a, it, people actually hire me for it. People actually want to interview me for it. They want to, you know, get me on their podcast or they want me to speak at their conference because, and they have dubbed me the no nonsense, you know, coach. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I I always believe that who you truly are is the reason why you're here. And the expression of who you are inspires so many people, teaches so many people in exactly the way that you are. So if you Try to change it or tamp it or, you know, lie about it or mimic somebody else. You're doing a
0: disservice to yourself and to them. Interesting. I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, do you feel that that little girl that grew up and now went into corporate and now has your own business? Do you think that's very authentic yeah. to who you still are? Or do you think if I should have started way earlier? Okay, so so you would totally, but would you would still do the corporate thing or not? You would you just know, no, because
1: I I now meet people who are much younger than me and who've never worked
0: in corporations, and
1: they're toying with the idea of having their own business. And I'm like, just do it. And they feel like they need the experience of a corporation. And yeah, it's not it's not bad to have that, but it's not necessary because with the tools of marketing you know, that I teach my clients, I I can make them into experts. You know, you pump out content, enough content, you study one specific topic enough, you will know more about it than most people. And then you out enough content about that same topic,
0: you're going to look like an expert. Yep. No, absolutely. The time has changed. I, I can definitely believe that. And that's why I guess, for example, I got it exploring into podcasting and other things like, okay, why are we not doing that the younger people are doing and into connecting, right. And, 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 into exploring the possibilities. But I, I definitely feel that the corporate world, at least it gave me that um, feeling that I wouldn't always get in my way in, in a sense where you have, maybe you want to go one way, but you have to kind of, uh, uh, accept others' people's viewpoints, which is also useful, you know, because in life you don't always get to. You call know, Leticia, so. every
1: experience I think is valuable, good or bad. Everything there is no failure; it's just a learning. It's just a result. So to say that working for corporations or my 20, cor- 20 years of working for corporate and giant ones say that I learned nothing or that it wasn't valuable would be wrong. But for people who think that they need it. To have a successful business, that's where I say, no, you don't. There's other experiences. There's other ways you can get that experience or different ones. That's all. And, and you know, you, you've maybe met people, businesses that feel like they're not enough. And I do this. I, I'm a certified coach, so I used to work with a lot of coaches. And their median income, I don't know if you've ever met coaches, but the International Coach Federation published their median uh, annual income of their members and can you guess how much it is I have no idea it's <laughs> $25,000 so it's like poverty level and you know and I met so many of those wonderful people who are trying to heal the world and yet they're broke and they cannot heal the world so what they you know believe is if I only I go and get another certification if only I go and get another degree, if only I work for a corporation, if only, if only, and this is, we do this all the time and mostly women, that if only they think they ha- they get something outside of themselves that they'll be successful. And it's not true. And it's true, for both, right? It's true for life. If only I had, you know, lost five more pounds. If only, uh, I got a, you know, facelift, I could go and make a speech.
0: Yeah. No, I, I totally <clears throat> agree with you. And in fact, in one of the research, in some of the research I was doing for, for this interview, I bumped into one of your articles and you wrote something very interesting, which is your why. And it says, My why is to help entrepreneurs yeah. break out of their childhood conditioning that limits them. Yeah, because that's mine. That's my wound. Exactly. And so I wanted to go there. So you feel that there were conditionings that were limiting you before you kind of got your eureka <laughs> moment to use another expression you use in your. In, yeah, I mean, definitely. I told you about how my
1: parents were like, you know, very tight with money because they didn't have much and they were always worried. But, you know, what they taught us is always be risk free. So don't, you know, put money on your credit cards or don't put debt on your credit cards don't borrow from anyone study really hard so you could work for large corporations so you'll have guaranteed high income none of it was true i was restructured maybe every time i had a job because i worked for giant corporations that were continually restructuring or they were doing um mergers so i mean if you i mostly worked in the packaged goods industry so in canada it's just been completely changed. Even in the world, it's changed.
0: Well, Oh, trust me. I work for a Canadian company, as I mentioned, Nortel, and I saw it go for $150,000 uh, employees to zero, going bankrupt, being one of the biggest uh, Canadian yeah. companies there was in telecom. And uh, it was, it was, uh, that's actually where I made my switch. Like I saw that going down that way and people getting fired, and my whole group every day we would get to work. Is it today? Is it tomorrow? No one knew when we were all going to be laid off. And, and it's just, I, it wasn't for me. I just, I, I, I couldn't take it. So I volunteer and say, uh, give me the package, I will happily leave. And that's what I did, and that's when I joined my family company. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's brutal working for those. It's like a bloodbath, right? It's a bloodbath. I have a friend who's doing that
1: with a large, large, large um, pharmaceutical, whose name I won't use. But it's it's literally he's like, should I take a vacation? Everybody's getting fired right now, and like it's not because of the economy, and it's not because the company's doing. Uh, badly it's because they have a new mandate they just have a new mandate to, to reduce and every like there is a, a you know firing notice for someone every day and that's how he feels it's never going to change that's the corporate world Will you and I talking here 20 years from now it's always going to be the same
0: Yeah, I I 100% agree. And I I spoke about this in my last episode, which was the number 20, by the way. So I'm an official podcaster, but I share some of my own journey. And and to me, uh, that experience was uh, very hurting, hurting for my own ego because we were part of like the top talent team and we were given retention bonuses and we were praised left and right by the company. And then one day that's one day and then the next day you, you, you're jobless. And so it's really it was really hard to swallow, especially when you're younger and when you think, Okay, I'm made it, and I'm climbing and then you have to start from zero again. And so it, it took a while to stand back and, and I took six months. I, I spent the whole layoff package, whatever. I said I'm gonna go travel and explore because it just Very nice. to take a break. But uh but yeah, it was, uh, an experience. So what was, that was my, my compelling event. Do you have a, one specific event or things that made you re re-program yourself and, and get rid of those, uh, childhood conditioning limitations? No, I did. It was
1: literally, um, a coach and, um, there was a man sitting next to me at a woman's and I don't know if you've heard of e-women network it's a very large u.s chain of networking so they they have they yes, used I to have a very big Toronto chapter so I, we were at their Toronto dinner and there was a man sitting there and it's a woman's event so I didn't even think they were allowed so I said i, I like we started talking and I said how, how are you allowed to be in here and he said oh my partner is uh, a woman and she's here and i'm with her and they had driven from syracuse for that me- like so like three hours for that meeting they drove their butts down to toronto anyway so up to toronto and um he became my coach he asked for fifteen thousand dollars to work with me and it was only for like three months and it was like 20 minutes per call it was very small short amount of time for fifteen thousand dollars and He's And I said, I can't afford that. I've never even paid $15,000, not even for my down payment for my house. Like, you know, like I've never, I, I was a certified coach. So I used, I hired coaches, but always in cheaper programs, like always cheap coaches, always like group programs where it's only a couple of thousand. Right. And I made myself feel good saying, oh, every coach should have a coach and I have mm-hmm. one. But it never got me anywhere because all the problems that were in the group, I was way above those. Like I was way beyond that. And it used to bore me to death. I never got any return from the investment. And so this guy, he said $15,000 for that limited amount of time. I was like, oh my God, I, I don't have the money. And what he taught me in that moment, he said, if you make the decision out of the same mindset that's gotten you to this age and to this income then you're never going to change your income because that has been baked into you from your childhood. And if you don't break that barrier, you're never going to be able to break it because if you can't pay 15,000, you can't ask for 15,000. That's what he said. And he scared me a little because I, 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 wanted to, I, I mean, I wanted to do what he was saying and I believed him whatever reason I have no idea I just met him once and I believed him so I actually called my coupon clipping retired mother I you know borrowed money from her I, I, and I didn't have savings like I didn't have a reserve and I didn't have many clients so I, I, I called my credit card companies and I increased my limits so I broke it up into two because it's like 15 US is a lot more Canadian it's 30 percent more. So then I got all this money and he said to me, Chala, if you pay it all up front, you're going to do yourself a service because you'll know the feeling of paying a huge amount of money into your investment, into investment in yourself. So I did it. I paid it all in one. I almost like I almost threw up and I didn't sleep really for two two, month and a half until I actually got my first sale of $15,000. Like and I remember telling my parents on FaceTime their eyebrows disappeared off the screen. <laughs> it was hilarious. Like it was just like a big bang theory, you know, when Rajesh's parents. I don't know if you ever watched that show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's my story. That was my aha because he taught me that my childhood mentality around money and around investing is keeping me from making more money. So that year. As soon as I sold that my first $15,000 package, I sold a $25,000 package. And then I kept going and going and like I tripled my income at the age of 40 that year that I I did that. So so I broke that ceiling. I was able to break that ceiling. And so I tell that story to people who are having difficulty, you know, letting go of 25,000. I mean, I'm talking about the smaller like the bigger clients. It's just a corporate decision. They have it in the budget and they, they can see the ROI and you know, they're seasoned executives and they've hired other consultants before. And it's not a big deal, but for the little guys like me that work with me, it's a big deal to shell out 15, 25,000. So they don't do it easily. And most of them can't do it in terms of their mindset. It's not that they wouldn't get it back or that they can't afford it. They, they, will buy, you know, they'll buy something else for that. They'll spend it on a website, but they would, to, to spend it on a consultant on a strategy, they can't fathom it. So I tell them my story about, you know, the mindset and what it did. And very, very few of them can change.
0: Yeah, no, it's a quite impressive
1: story. Yeah, it's so locked into them. So that's one of the only things really that I would say is there's a few people in the world that can truly change their childhood conditioning and really in one moment because I believe that decisions are made in one moment and you spend a ton of time justifying it either to yourself or to you know, the people around you. But that's what I think is that's my aha moment was this, you know, this coach telling me you're never going to be any different if you just keep doing the same thing in terms of your fear. That's my biggest fear and it still is but it's at a different level now. Like you've, I've moved it up, right?
0: Yeah, but at that point, were you still working in the corporate world, or you had left already? No, I left. I, I didn't. You have,
1: had left. I hadn't. I didn't have any like
0: cushion. I had no
1: savings my, at the time. My husband couldn't afford to pay for all of our expenses by himself, and I didn't have enough clients. Uh, we could not afford a fifteen thousand dollar, de- you know, deficit from our budget, but. See, what, what he taught me is what rich people or children of rich people think. And, you know, this is kind of like, you know, Warren Buffett's kids, let's say. Um, he teaches them to look at investment as how much is it going to make me. But poor people, they look at it as how am I ever going to replace that? That's gone. But they don't see. So rich people, they look at it as, oh, the $1,000 I'm paying or 15000 is going to get me. 100,000 this year, and it did, it got me way more, in a cumulative, it's got me more than a million over the l- last couple of years, right, so that's the difference between the mindset, and that's, I try to teach that as much as I can.
0: Yeah, no, I absolutely, if, uh, a lot of the reading I've done, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's always revolves around that, that you, even Deepak Chopra is a big advocate of, you know, it has to come from a place where, of abundance, where you, your decision um have abundance as the core rather than scarcity yeah. and 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 it's a it's a big big uh change in your mindset absolutely it's huge it's huge yeah so would you say that uh obviously because back to basics is um uh, our main purpose is to think what can we do in our lives to feel happy with who we are because Part of and many of the guests I've had over are people that, in my mind, have been very successful, are staying connected to the true essence. So obviously for what you do, you're so passionate about what you do. Yeah, I can tell you love helping people. So kind of you are in your calling. But many people are, you know, stocking jobs that they kind of like, but they also forget who they are about or what they enjoy doing or how do they feel Uh, connected to really that person that started the journey as a little child and now is an adult and now has kids and it's absorbed by day-to-day routines. And I'm sure you see a lot of those people as your customers probably when you go and and get to to a coach. I I would think that's also part of it, right? Uh, You know, the whole world, do you know how many people, what
1: percentage of the population owns their own business? No, I don't. No, I don't. So it's ten percent in the U.S. So the majority of everyone you see, and everyone around you, really typically is working for someone else. Um, so it's such a different thing to be happy working for someone else versus yourself. Um, and I'll tell you, when you're working for someone else, the way that people have resolved this joy issue is to to spend their free time doing the thing that gives them joy. So they, you know, like the uh, procurement manager at my last company used to do freaking marriage counseling at his church and run marriage camps through his church for very little money. And it was more like his, you know, passion, his love. Another woman had a you know, she worked in the shipping department and she had a floral arrangement business on the side. So that was her passion. Now, none of them ever wanted to do enough to make them full-time businesses. None of them wanted to give up anything like you and I give up uh, in terms of time, resources, energy, money to grow those hobbies, but they stay as hobbies. So that's in the in the corporate world. I think that's how people put up with it, because very few of those 90 percent are actually doing jobs that they absolutely excel in and love and just, you know, get off on in the perfect conditions with the exact people that they want to be surrounded with. And during the exact hours they want to work, very few of those 90 percent. Right. I'm sure you would agree. Yeah, yeah. So that's how, they, that's how they do it is they, they have their – and when I used to work full-time, this was my passion. This was my hobby. I would go and speak at night at association meetings and have clients at lunch. That's how I transitioned. But it was my passion. It was my hobby. And then at other lunch free lunches, I would write my blogs. So that's how I transitioned. And I never, and I never really thought I'd ever leave my day job because it paid well. And I had a lot of freedom. I was pretty senior – you know, I had just given birth, all those things. So, but, you know, I, I was able to to actually move. I was able to leave. So thank God.
0: Yeah, no, I I hear you. And I, and I think I have many friends that work in the cor- corporate world that um, they get offered either better jobs and they say, no, 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 I'm perfectly as I am. And, you know, and they're perfectly content and happy and they find their fulfillment or what makes them tick, as I say in this yeah. podcast. And they they're they're happy people too, you know. It's a, a, so I never see like a black and white kind of thing. I I, I say that there is a le- in the world there's there are many needs, and we each each one of us has our, the calling of, of fulfilling certain needs. But definitely, um, I believe that the fear that a lot of people have of leaving that cushion job of leaving, you know, the steady check and uh, affects. A big chunk of people that say, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can be a writer. I don't think I can be an actor. And, and they allow those uh, limitations, self-imposed limitations uh, to rule their lives, basically.
1: Yeah, and, and but they compensate for it through doing it on their own or finding an outlet for it or doing it as a volunteer or having some creative form uh, you know, in their lives of, yeah. of that. Thing. and then for you know what makes entrepreneurs happy I think sadly a huge part of it is the success of our business
0: yeah uh, it's your baby right it's your baby you see it being born and you give it a personality and a, and a life and then you want it to see it succeed absolutely yeah I mean unless you
1: unless it's a hobby for you and you don't need it to live or succeed or whatever the, I mean which is often not the case even if businesses are doing really well the owner does feel like it's their baby and I've hardly I've never met anybody who's truly in living in joy when their business is doing badly right I mean it has to be very low priority for them their business has to be very low priority for them to still be in joy while their business is bleeding
0: Absolutely. And, and there's a lot of stress too. I always say people fantasize about being your own boss and they glamorize only the good part, but there's also the part where you have to pay people and maybe there's no money in the bank where your customer hasn't paid you, where you have to go on vacation, but you really can't because you have to do payroll and you have to sign that big contract. So I always say there's two sides of the story. And unless you really enjoy it, uh, you're not going to enjoy even being your own boss. You're probably going to enjoy more finding that you're getting the check on top of your desk. You don't know where the money came from. <laughs> you just know you're being paid.
1: <laughs> I love, uh, you know, I follow a guy named
0: Gary Vaynerchuk. He's, uh, he
1: yes, feels so I love him. Yeah, so I love, he says that if you can go and work for someone else, you're not a true entrepreneur. Because if you can actually stomach working for someone else, so he looks at it from a, can't even go there kind of thing like it's just you, you have you were born this way like you can't even make yourself do that and you know you and i both have made ourselves do that but he he has a really hard stance about who is an entrepreneur and who isn't
0: yeah it's very interesting. I like that quote from him. Yeah, I am a big fan. I've read his books and I actually got into this whole social media because I read Crushing It. That was one of the of the um, defining factors after social media for dummies. <laughs> that served me well, too. <laughs> Good but, for you. Good for you. Yeah, you have to go to every, every source of information to try to ponder where, where you're going, right? So so i know and just because i know you're a busy person i know you also have gotten into writing books and you just published uh, a book so i definitely want to give you the time to talk about your book so our audience can hopefully buy it and and learn how to get everybody to like you really quick Yeah, exactly. Well, the reason for the seven seconds, you know, how to get
1: anyone to like you in seven seconds or less is because Harvard University did a study where they found that it takes seven seconds to make a first impression, only seven seconds. So that's why I wrote the book about how to make the first impression in seven seconds, because I'm a, a elevator pitch coach and the elevator pitch the first seven seconds is critical, what you say, how you say it. And, you know, and in the book, there's other stuff around body language because there's certain stuff you you mean, you're communicating so much just in your presence, in uh, your energy and your, you know, facial expressions and your body expressions, everything uh, other than your words too. I mean, your words, I help you with your words in the pitch um, fixing, but there's so much else that goes into it. And they don't even know, people themselves don't even know that they've, you know, made that conscious decision about you, but because it's unconscious, but it, it, it definitely comes out in research. So it's, it's really fascinating. I've, I did a ton of research to be able to write that book and I wrote it for a TV, um, appearance circuit that I'm doing, uh, where I auditioned to, you know, for, hmm, was it like 14 or 13 TV producers in New York city? two months ago. And, uh, you know, I was pitching to get into their TV stations and I was able to get like most of them, luckily. And yeah, thank you. So in fact, I'll be on TV in Orlando in a week. I believe it's in a week. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So it's, this is why I wrote the book, uh, for that TV, um, tour book tour. But it's also, you know, a fascinating topic that goes hand in hand with my specialty, which, which is teaching people how to do elevator pitches.
0: No, and you are a magician at that. I've heard you speak <laughs> already a few times and I follow <laughs> you and I uh, invite anybody listening to the podcast. All Chollis information will be on the show notes, but you definitely have to check this out because as I see it and I'm in sales uh, it's not only about selling a product you sell yourself too in every interaction, as, as you just said. So this is not only for entrepreneurs or people that, you know, I don't have a pro- I have a product to sell. This is also about how you are perceived in the in your world, in your environment, in your circles. So it's something that it's worth considering. It's like, how am I presenting myself? Just exactly what you were sharing, Charlotte.
1: Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And it's so lovely to finally talk to you, like, you know, about personal stuff, which is great.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I cannot finish the interview or end the interview. Is there any one particular thing that makes you tick? If you have an hour to yourself where you can say, yes, I'm going to do something that really hits my core. <laughs> is there something specific that you oh. go do? It's so, it's kind of boring, but I am a little
1: bit addicted to the, to the gym. Okay. So I, have, I have to work out every day. I have to work out every day.
0: Well, it's not boring if it makes you tick and then it makes you look great. So you, I think you have a win-win situation. <laughs> I hope so. Yes, you do. Well, Charlotte, thank you so much. It's been great chatting with you and, uh, I look for many more uh, of your successes.: Thank you and let's stay in touch. Thank you so much. Take care, bye-bye. Bye-bye And until the next time.